kiss meet across a smoke-filled room and then it's just us. You intoxicate me. My head buzzes as euphoric energy builds within me. We move in unison. The heat between us ignites my wild side. mix of lion's tail, mullein, raspberry leaf, and white sage by Barbari. Visit barbarishop.com and use code BROCCOLITALKS at checkout for 15% off. Barbari, smokables for a mild high. Hi, this is Lauren Yoshiko. And this is Menle Golakai Agri, and you're listening to Broccoli Talk, a podcast for cannabis lovers. Today's episode is an exploration into the Indian roots of cannabis. And thanks to a conversation that I had with Bay Area-based Yogi Maharaj, who is reclaiming Bong via her community, Love Kush. This is going to be really insightful. I'm excited. As a side note, you may have noticed that it's been a month since our last episode, and that's going to be true for the next little while. As much as we love chatting with y'all frequently, as as frequently as possible, we are pairing things back for a little while just to help with some of our team's workloads, but you can still expect us to land in your airwaves once a month. Make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're using to keep up to date. We're also opening the doors to some new brand partners. So if you want to hear us read out a cute ad blurb on the show, hit us up at hi at broccolimag.com and we'll make it happen. Also, spoiler alert, we have some very fun Broccoli Talk merch in the works. All I can say is it's cozy for your feet. Maybe that's a dead ringer. I don't know. But there will be there will be more on that soon. It's been a, a hot space, the broccoli merch shop. Very into it. <laughs> There's housekeeping out of the way. Other things happening in our lives. You guys can always read the broccoli report in between the different episodes, which is still humming along and we are definitely finding some really fun topics to write about. I don't know if you caught the last bath episode, uh, sort of like bath-centric, spa-centric dispatch, but it was really fun to talk about the ways that people are creating new experiences in very familiar spaces and how cannabis businesses can help them do that with a little more satisfaction. Um, and then upcoming stuff, we're going to be talking about weed fashion. We're going to be talking Ooh. about... I know there's there was an incredible uh, intellectual property trademarking newsletter that came out in the last few weeks as well that taught me so much about legal representation. Like I always think with cannabis businesses, like people get hung up on criminal defense attorneys and really you need a tax attorney. Okay, well, my advice has been very flawed, I realized, because you also need to have uh, someone in your corner, at least that you can call on from time to time for intellectual property stuff because it seems like that literally everyone big and small is going to deal with something in regards to their ideas at some point and uh yeah it's taught me a lot and i hope other people are learning as well if you want to subscribe to the broccoli report it's broccoli.substack.com i don't know if this is going to be another spoiler alert for the broccoli report but 
I've just been writing an article recently, and it's it's just for Chula. It's just for our blog, but about native African herbs. Um, it's sort of been like a side, side, side hoe project, research project. <laughs> recently, it just seems like it ties together. Um, but there's just so much information out there, and I I love being able to kind of connect all the dots, you know, when it comes to herbs, when it comes to our favorite herb, cannabis, weed, sativa, ganja. And so that's just been like a really fun thing to do, even though I probably shouldn't be writing the blogs for Chula anymore. However, um, I'm excited to share it and to see how it aligns with um, with your herbal exploration. I'm ready to listen to dulcet tones of Yogi Maharaj. Yeah. Are you ready to dive into the interview? Let's get it. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. My name is Yogi Maharaj, and I am a cannabis advocate and community leader at Love Kushko. I founded Love Kushko in 2020 as a wellness and lifestyle community to help reshape the face of cannabis in the Desi community by providing consciously cultivated education, resources, and experiences. Before I go any further, I'd like to talk about what a Desi person is. A Desi person is anyone who migrated from the South Asian continent. So my family is from Fiji, and I often get mistaken for being an Indian person. And although my family did come from India, a lot of my Fijian identity gets erased. And so I created this space for all Desis, whether you're from India, whether you're from Punjab, whether you're from Bangladesh, whether you're from Fiji or Trinidad or Jamaica, there are Desi people all over the world. There are Desi Americans. Um, and so I wanted to create a space where we can share all of our experiences and connect with each other because it often feels like there's a disconnect from all of these different cultures because of how we got to these different places. Talk to me about living in the Bay Area as as someone from the diaspora and, and what that's been like in terms of it being such a strong cannabis community and I guess like Mecca, if you will. How does how does that intersect? Being in the Bay Area and being Fijian Indian and growing up, cannabis was something that was always around me. My cousins, all of my cousins sold weed, and I never really understood how it intersected with our culture in particular, but part of the reason why I started what I started was because my cousins would always say that weed had everything to do with our culture. And so when I started smoking, I started smoking with them, and I when they would drop me home after school or whatever, I would learn more about like the culture that I grew up with. I grew up a devout Hindu. And so a lot of this culture was forced upon me, I guess, growing up, just learning about weed and how my culture connected with it. And then being from the Bay Area, I feel like there's such a strong Fijian Indian community here. There's such a strong Indian community here. And a lot of us are in the closet with our cannabis experiences. I know a lot of my cousins got scrutinized for using weed growing up. And what a lot of people didn't understand is that like, it was a way for us to connect. It was a way for us to bond. And for my cousins in particular, I remember that it helped them get through some of the hardest times for us. 
as Desi Americans during like 9-11. My cousin started using cannabis to cope. And I know that that's not something that they could come out and say to me, but the conversations that I would have with them when I was high or when we were high, it just like, it all makes sense. Like they use this as a way to be accepted. And not only did it help them feel accepted, it healed them in ways, it nurtured them in ways that they weren't able to like talk about. They weren't able to talk about the experiences that they were having, getting bullied or getting beat up because of racist things that were happening. They smoked weed and thought about those things and they like wrote poetry or they did whatever they had to. People say that there's no such thing as recreational cannabis because all cannabis is medicinal. Yeah. And it's like whether we know it or not and whether they knew it or not, like it was healing them in so many ways. Right. Even if it feels good, it still can be good for you. No, I mean... I'm excited to talk to you about cannabis in particular because, you know, from from my very layman and and uneducated perspective, you know, I see that cannabis has this like prevalence, at least from what I can tell, across like social and spiritual landscapes of India. And we just feel so deeply intertwined with religion there. And from what even you explain, you know, one of the principal deities of Hinduism, Shiva, is given the subrequet Lord of Bang, right? And so this stems from a rather long history that I I think a lot of us listening would love to know about um, when it comes to this plant and that, that subcontinent. So if you can just sort of begin with the roots of cannabis in India, um, I'd love to hear about it. It's said that Desi people have been using cannabis for over 2,000 years. If you go a little bit deeper, it might be even up to almost 4,000 years because the first mention of cannabis in India is in the Vedas. And it's in the Atharva Veda where they mention cannabis as a Vijaya. And what Vijaya means is she who conquers all. The plant was revered as a rejuvenator. It gave joy, it gave life, it gave food, it gave uh, shelter. And so they had a very extensive knowledge of how to use the plant in these Vedas, which are ancient Hindu texts. And from that, as time went on, and as Hinduism evolved, there were more deities involved. And so something called Bhang came into came into play and bhang is derived from the Sanskrit word bhanga, which means hemp. And we offer it to Shiva in like a sort of an elixir that dates back to the legend of the Samudra Mantan. And what the Samudra Mantan is, is it's the churning of the milky ocean. In this story, there are demons and gods and they're fighting for the elixir of immortality. And the preserver god, Vishnu, tells them that the only way that they can get this elixir of immortality is if they churn all of the poison out of the ocean. And Vishnu says, here, you can take my snake and wrap it around. It's like the North Pole, essentially, and they churn the gods get on one side, the demons get on the other side, and they churn, they churn, they churn, they churn the poison out of the ocean. And before the poison is turned out, there are a few ways of 
how weed came into play into this story. So some say that weed was just one of the gifts altogether when the god of Ayurveda sprung out. He was holding the cannabis plant. Another legend says that when they finally got the Amrit, which is the elixir of immortality, a splash of that fell into the ground and that's how the cannabis plant came to us. The last gift that is sprung out of the ocean is that poison. So they're churning the poison out of the ocean. And so there's this huge vile poison. It's called halhala. And poison has to go somewhere. Just like in life, there are so many, like we try to live in love and light, but there's always darkness. And, uh, you know, that darkness goes somewhere. We either like bury it down or we process it. But there's this vile poison that exists in the universe that it has to go somewhere. And so Lord Shiva says that since he is the destroyer and he's the god of destruction, he is going to sacrifice himself and he's going to consume the poison so that it doesn't toxify the rest of the world. And so um, his wife, Parvati, is like, hell no. And so she goes... And she realizes that this plant that came from either the elixir of immortality or from the god of Ayurveda, this cannabis plant can be utilized in a way that could save her husband. And so she makes bong. And bong, we don't know what it is today because because of everything that's happened in history, but... Um, Bhang is essentially like a cannabis paste that's mixed with other ingredients. Some say it's mixed with opium. Some say there's shrooms in it. There's a lot of stimulating herbs in there, herbs that stimulate your third eye. Um, And so she makes this, she feeds it to him, uh, but he can't swallow it. And so what she does is, I don't know how to explain it, but back then they had powers and she was able to contain the poison somehow in his throat so that he could swallow the bong and the bong healed him from the poison that had already started to, to get into his body. That is the reason why we celebrate Shivratri. So Shivratri is coming up, it's in March um, and Shivratri is a holiday that celebrates their anniversary and we celebrate with Bhang because after after Parvati saved Shiva, she he realized the power of the herb and he planted it in India in the Parvati Valley as like an ode to her, like his love. It was his love for her. Um, and so Parvati Valley is one of the greatest cannabis attractions in India today. And it's high up in the hills. And that's where you can find things like charas. Charas is like a, a live resin hash that people make by taking like the live buds and they rub it in their hands. And there's like a, all the tar that's left on your palm, all, the, all those trichomes are scraped off and they're rolled into little golden balls. Those are really cool. Looking for a celebratory drink without the depleting effects of alcohol? Aurora Sparkling Hemp Beverages uses whole plant extracts and modern alchemy to deliver the added benefits of hemp CBD. Non-alcoholic, non-psychoactive, and low in sugar, Aurora's Effervescence Elixirs offers a variety of feels and flavors from herbaceous rosemary to floral lavender, spicy cayenne to tart black currant berries. 
and all infused with bright citrus and balanced by the soft green notes of organically grown broad-spectrum hemp extract. Choose something to celebrate. Reach for an Aurora and never sacrifice any occasion. Visit auroraelixirs.com, A-U-R-O-R-A-E-L-I-X-I-R-S.com and use code BROCCOLI at checkout to save 20% off of your first purchase. Oof. Phew. Ah. Mmm. That's the sound of being nurtured by Chula's unique blends of cannabinoids and herbs. Chula is a high-grade, small-batch hemp brand that supports menstrual cycles, menopausal cycles, hormonal cycles, and everything in between. As a Latinx and Black-owned brand, Chula infuses ancestral herbal wisdom and modern science into the creation of every product. Use Chula as a portal to reintroduce yourself to the transformative power of hemp and herbs to help you feel yourself. As our offering to you, use code H-O-L-A Broccoli for 20% off all products at Chula.us. That's X-U-L-A dot U-S. Chula. Feel yourself. I didn't realize that there was such a love story connected, you know, I think, or I guess like a story about the the good and the bad and the evil and, you know, what, what washes it away. I sometimes, this is a side note, but like I always have this strange like gut reaction when it's like the light and the darkness and I'm kind of like, it just always has this, this strange um, tie to race. Um, but we could talk about that later, but I really want, I want to dive into bong, right? Because I've, it's, it's such a fascinating edible, right? I, for me learning about it, it just seemed like it was the first edible, right? Before the space cake and the pot brownie, there was bong, like bong is sold. It's like, it's sold in government shops. It's enjoyed during spring festivals. Like, I've heard that um, newlyweds would take it to sort of help with their libidos and calm anxiety and and ancient warriors maybe use it to calm their nerves. And I I just love, especially looking at Love and Kush, there's all these really beautiful elixirs and recipes that you've come up with. So talk to me about this, like the immortal elixir, because that, that just seems incredibly remarkable in terms of what exactly is in it and how how you came to sort of create this this mixture. It's most well known as Amrit, which is the, Im- the elixir of immortality. And then it's also known as something called Som. And what Som is, is it's known as like life-giving herbs. And so we're not sure what exactly is in it because that because of the criminalization of weed and other psychedelics over the years. But there are many stories of like the types of feelings that the herbs give you. The descriptions talk about it being almost like where you get drunk off of strength. It's like a strength without ego. It's like a hopeful, faithful strength that they say that you get from Som or from Amrit. We try to make, I think over the years, like we've made our own version of that and we don't call it Amrit anymore. We do just call it Bhang. It's also known as Bhang Tandai, which is like a milkshake, a weed milkshake. But what we do is we grind the flour. It's flour that's been decarboxylated. So it's either like toasted 
Um, I've also seen in India where they don't decarboxylate the cannabis. It's just like fresh, but they grind it with nuts, with ghee. Ghee is like a clarified um, fat. It's like clarified butter. Um, And then we also add spices to it. So think chai spices. We add like cardamom, clove. I know a lot of people also add poppy seeds. Um, because poppy seed is known to like stimulate the effects of bong and it makes the bong last a little bit longer. When my dad came here in the 80s from Fiji, him and his uncle used to hold really big Shivratri pujas, which are like rituals. My uncle would get hash somehow from India and they would make gallons of bhang to give out to people who were celebrating the holiday with them. The first time my dad tried it, he didn't understand that it would take a long time for the bhang to take into effect. So he drank like a few glasses and he woke up in the middle of the night with like this strong urge to go to the to the ocean. I don't know. I just think it's so cool because they like criminalized me for it. They were like so mean to me. They like tortured me for like smoking weed for so long. And then like years later, you find out that they were also using this stuff because it's a part of our culture. It's like like to honor God, not only, but also like to honor yourself. It's like something to heal yourself. It's something to make you relax. Like he wanted to go to the ocean. He wanted to calm down. I want to talk a little bit about cultivation and sort of farming cannabis in India. I've read that about 60% of districts in India and within India grow ganja. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, what is cannabis cultivation like there and surrounding countries? India was one of the first places that cannabis was legally cultivated and exported to different countries. They started this in the mid-1800s with the East India Trading Company. And so before they started trading cannabis, they were trading Indian slaves to different parts of the world. They were taking us to, to South Africa, to India, to Trinidad, I mean, not to India, to Fiji, to Trinidad, to Jamaica. They were taking us to all these different places. Indian farmers took this cannabis with them when they left India. They knew that it was a medicine or they just wanted to fucking smoke and they took the weed with them. (laughs) And so cannabis became really popularized in all these different places. And that's when the British realized, hey, we can be making money off of this. They got to Great Britain and they asked the queen if they could export it or whatever. They got all of that taken care of. And so they began in Bengal where there was the Ganja Mahal. And the Ganja Mahal is like, it's like a Taj Mahal, but it's like a Ganja Mahal. It's like 60,000 acre chunk of land where they began cultivating cannabis like for sale. So they started growing lots of weed in Bengal because the climate there was better. They couldn't grow it in every place. Bengal had some of the most advanced methods where they already knew how to grow more resinous flowers. They decided to set up shop there. They began requiring these farmers to have a license so they would they would seize the land and they would tell people that you know this is our land you have to pay us licenses if you want to grow like you have to pay us taxes if you want to grow here it almost i almost don't know how to explain it but it reminds me of what's happening now yeah the way that the british 
required Indian farmers to have these taxes and like to pay these fees. And then they started requiring shops. And then ganja farmers started like they started disobeying, I guess, you know, they were like, fuck this. And so they they started their own legacy market, just like we have a legacy market. Now they started selling cannabis underground to their friends, to whoever, and they were making profits off of it. So the British started taxing cannabis even more. When they realized after a few years, very similar to the time when the studies on cannabis came out from the British, the Indian Hemp Drug Commission report came out of 1893. During that same time, they started trying to like criminalize people for using cannabis because the British were unable to control the drug trade, essentially. They were unable to control like the weed trade that was happening. Wow. Are you at all aware of what type of like land race strains were were available or like grown commonly during that time? Were they more, was it more hemp? Was it more like indica? Like what, I'm just curious, like what that plant might've looked like, you know, in in that time. Um, I think most of it, a lot of it was hemp. I think Bengal was one of the only places where they were growing more like indica heavy, more like narcotic, like, you know, something that was going to give give you more of a high. Um, but most places it was more like a hemp. It, it's still like something that's not that strong or high in THC, it seems like. You know, it's almost impossible to talk about the past and the history of cultivation in India when it comes to cannabis without really addressing, you know, this intense political, I guess, dismay when it comes to the tens of thousands of Indian farmers, you know, coming from the northern states, marching to the capital of Delhi to peacefully protest these farming reforms on, you know, on a micro level, these protests are in response to what, from my understanding, is a bill that the government passed, basically kind of eliminating these very complicated Mandy systems which is like a wholesale market when it comes to farmers selling and they're they're selling for these assured fixed prices to protect themselves and this system that's kind of brokered by other farmers you know is is now gone and when when you and I are talking a little bit about you know these the idea of legacy markets and just markets in general I can't help but think about these similarities and I would love if you could just kind of break down What's going on there? And if there are any resources that um, people should, you know, keep up with when it comes to the peaceful protests in India? Currently in India, there are a lot of farmers that are striking. There's not a lot. There's millions. There's over 250 million people that are striking because these new laws are basically giving away the little rights that the farmers have left right now. What's more interesting is, is that all of these protests have been happening since September of 2020. Almost none of it has been covered by any major media outlet in many countries. What's really hard is that People don't understand that farmers take care of the land. They not only take care of our land or our food, they also grow the cotton that we like wear on our bodies. They are not being protected right now. They're losing their land and they're being forced to give it up to corporations who don't know how to take care of the land. This isn't a problem that's just happening in India. 
this is a problem that's happening everywhere. No matter where we go, land is, yeah, it's like land is being taken away from the people that know how to nurture it and how to take care of it. And the people that know and have this sacred wisdom are being killed and or they're being silenced. And that's what's happening in India is that these farmers are speaking up because it affects a lot of stuff. Spices that we get, turmeric and like black pepper and all these things, cinnamon, they come from India and they're not just spices to make your food taste good. It's an Ayurvedic medicine. Like we're in the midst of a pandemic here. And if these people are not allowed to grow spices that could possibly heal us or help boost our immunity, there, it's like it's beyond the farmland. They're taking away our right to a sacred practice. It gets rid of the whole us having accessibility to these indigenous medicines. People should be talking about it. That's the only thing we can do. I mean, we could donate money. People yeah. could donate money. We could, you know, we could make infographics. We could repost on Instagram. But all what we have to do is we have to start having these conversations because it's not just happening it's in India it's happening everywhere and this is an attack at our culture at our like it's like I don't know how to explain it it's an attack at everything that our families have held on to no matter what has happened to us no matter what the colonization no matter where we've been this knowledge has been passed down to people and it's like a lot of hindu culture a lot of ayurvedic culture is appropriated and appropriation is defined as the act of taking something for your own use usually without permission and there's no way to get permission to use these things there's no way to monitor culture but there is a way to pay your respect to the people that carried this culture and to the culture itself you know like instead of just taking things and rebranding them we should be informing people about where this comes from what are the roots of this because not only is that important it makes your practice and it makes whatever you're selling to people so much more powerful because now people understand where it comes from it feels sacred it adds weight to it i mean and it's and otherwise it's a hypocrisy if anyone cares about that when you're talking about these ayurvedic practices and you know doing your yoga and doing your meditation or whatever but not addressing the fact that the people and the and the cultures and the ancestral knowledge that's been passed down isn't even available to the people who are sort of the creators of this, right? It's a lot. Again, there's so much to unpack, and we could talk about this for forever. Um, and maybe we can, we you know, talk about this all outside of the show and nerd out together. But something else that I'm really curious about, especially coming from like the food sort of cuisine perspective are just, again, like all of these beautiful recipes that you have on Love and Kush. And I saw one that is this like Kush and OG face mask. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what the fuck? And it's just so, there's just so much inspiration there. And I'm like, you know, can we, can we share the recipe? I really, I really think people need to hear about this. Um, talk to us about how you make it and how you apply it. Okay, yes. So our Kush and OJ recipe face mask recipe is actually like a full body glow mask recipe, if you like. Me and my sister were inspired on Wiz Khalifa's 10 year anniversary to do something that honored him. And we were like, let's do face masks. So it's essentially a bentatite clay mask. And we add turmeric to it because growing up, 
we were always told that like turmeric is really good for like acne and it helps bring a natural glow to our face. So we would make these nasty like uh, turmeric and mustard oil masks to put on our face. And so we were we were feeling experimental. And so we decided to mix it into our clay mask instead. And we added orange juice to it because orange juice has a lot of calcium in it and has a lot of vitamin C and it helps brighten your skin and it helps exfoliate also the acid kind of eats away any dead skin cells. We added weed oil to it because cannabis infused like jojoba oil or olive oil is really good for your skin because it helps it helps your skin like just stay supple and moisturize. It's just beautiful. And so I really like it for my face. But what I recently learned is that it's really good for like your thighs and your underarms, because these are places that we don't really take care of. And it helps like, you know, just keep those areas clean. But yeah, so you take all of those ingredients, you take the weed oil, the turmeric, the clay, and you mix it together, not with a metal spoon, because clay and when clay mixes with acid, it causes a chemical reaction and clay pulls out heavy metal. So you don't want to use like a metal spoon because it's going to cause a really bad reaction. So with like a plastic spoon or with a brush, you just stir it all all together and you apply it onto your face. I like going a little bit thinner and adding thin layers at a time. That way you can kind of sit with your mask for hours, but you can also put like a, a thicker layer and let it harden. But it's a really it's a really fun way to use cannabis outside of smoking it or outside of eating it because cannabis, if it helps our body like feel better, why would it not make our skin feel better? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just love to the the sort of like edge of this being something that your family has been using for a while, you know, like something that even you and your sister practice together. So I just these beauty tips are just important. I love them. I love implementing all of them. And we're just so grateful just to have a conversation with you and chat. Thank you so much for like schooling us and, and teaching us about all the intersections of cannabis and cultivation and India and farm work and just all of the things that are always going to be important, but I think right now are especially relevant. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's really great to be able to share some of our history because um, a lot of our history is is being rebranded right now. A lot of our deities, a lot of just our culture in general is being marketed in a way that kind of takes away from a lot of the magic that comes with it. Like weed has definitely been a huge part of India. Um, It's been a huge part of the Desi community. And we just want to make sure that people know that it's a part of us. It's it really just like it love kush really started off as like a a project to kind of let my family know that you know what i'm doing is not bad and what i never realized or what i am now realizing along the way is that there are so many people now whether they're my age or like older than me they can kind of have these conversations with their parents now and be like you know I have been using cannabis and look, it's a part of our culture. It's a part of where we come from. And it's not something that makes us crazy or bad. It's just something that we use to heal. And that's all that like, I want to be able to do for my community. Love Kush is not named just because I love Kush. It's Love Kush is actually the name of Lord Ram and Goddess Sita's twin sons. One of them was named Love and one of them was named Kush. And they were always together and they were never apart. (laughs) And before we close out, can just let us know and let the audience know where they can find you online and um, how to reach out. 
Yes, you can find me online at Bula Bong. It's B-U-L-A-B-H-A-N-G or at lovekush.co. It's L-U-V-Kush, K-U-S-H dot co, C-O. Sweet. Thank you. This episode was produced by Anya Charbonneau. Our music is by Giselle Garcia. And our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Learn more about Broccoli and subscribe to the magazine at broccolimag.com. We appreciate you.